0: Today, I want to teach you probably one of the most sought-after things in all of life. I want to teach you the secret of how to find joy and peace and contentment in the middle of a joyless, contentious, broken world. If there was anything that you're looking for right now, whether you even realize it or not, you are looking to have what what makes your heart content. You, You want to feel good. You want to have joy. You want to have happiness. And this world is such a hard place to find it. Today, we're going to learn what that looks like, and we're going to learn it in a very unusual story, a story about a plague. And it's going to be in Exodus chapter 8. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them up to the book of Exodus chapter 8. Now, while you're finding Exodus, in, in case you're new to the Bible, just it's the second book of the Old Testament. So you've got Genesis, then Exodus, find chapter 8. We'll, we'll be in there in a moment. And while you're flipping over there, let me go ahead and set the stage with a question. Have, have you ever sought after something because you thought it would be good for you only to attain it and realize it was bad for you? any of that ever happened to you like like you wanted something and then you got maybe a little too much of it, and then it ended up being a curse and not a blessing for for example it's that that time you were just like it's the end of the day you're you're so exhausted you you put the kids to bed and you're just You just need some defrag time. You're gonna sit in front of the TV and you're gonna just veg for a little bit and flip on Netflix, you're just gonna watch a show. And all of a sudden, you don't even know what happened. It's 7 a.m., the sun has come up and you're still watching Stranger Things because you had to watch every episode of every season. You just binged the whole thing. And you don't even remember it. Like, you don't remember going to the bathroom for the last nine hours. You don't remember eating a bag of chips but you see the crumbs all over your stomach. Like, what have I done? If you've ever binge-watched a show, you know the next morning you don't feel good. Like your head hurts, you feel foggy, just like, oh my goodness, now i got to like be awake because it's daytime. It, it started off as a good thing and then it ended up being a bad thing because you got a little too much. of it. Or, or it's, it's that plate of cookies that you see in front of you and it's warm, the chocolate chip cookies, just fresh out of the oven. You're just going to eat one of them because, you know, like... You have to. It's a chocolate chip cookie. It's warm. You, you have to. It's like a moral imperative to eat it when it's still soft and warm. So you eat one and another and another and another. And it's, now you've eaten 14. It's like the movie Aliens. They're like trying to come out of your stomach. You're just freaking out because you've got a cramp off on your side right here. The cookie's stuck. You're trying to digest. You go, what have I done? It was good until it wasn't good because you had too much of it. There are all kinds of things that when we get them, we finally get what we're longing for, we realize, oh my goodness, this is not a blessing. This is a curse. And interestingly, even really good things, healthy things can end up that way. There there are some of you who've determined you you need to lose weight. You've been talking about this every New Year's, you make a new commitment, you keep failing, but this year is different. And you made that commitment and you have been after it over this year and you've lost a large amount of weight. You had this massive, big old, hairy, audacious goal of how much weight you were gonna lose, and then you hit it, only to realize you probably could still lose another 10 or 15 pounds. It's like this carrot that just keeps on moving a little further and further. And then you're like, what's all this flabby stuff? Why am I skin all loose? You look in the mirror, you don't look anything like those people on TV. And you're going, really? I worked this hard for that? You achieve what's healthy, and it ends up not even blessing you. It just frustrates you. Or or maybe you're one of those people that always dreamed of finding the right person to marry. Like you, you, you hate feeling lonely, and you were just praying for God to send you a mate, somebody that you could do life with, share everything with. And you find that person, you get married, assuming your loneliness would be gone, only to realize how stinking hard it is to share life with another human being. And that you're living in a house with another person you've never felt lonelier in your life. And you realize that person cannot satisfy you. Or there are others who just dream of the day when they can have a family. You look out and you see the home and you see them sitting around the dinner table and they look so happy. And, and, and you're like, if I could just have kids, if I could just have a family, then, then I would be whole. And then you have six of them and you're going, why did I have all these leeches that eat all my food and take all my money? Now, I love my children deeply. But my children cannot satisfy me. Your children cannot, your grandchildren cannot satisfy you. And we pursue these things hoping that they're going to make us happy, bring us joy, and they end up hurting us when we discover it can't meet that need. There are some of you right now either watching this or in this room, and I guarantee it, you have spent your life on your career. You've just determined, if I can work hard, if I can succeed in my field, if I can get the dream job, make the dream salary, provide for my family, then I'll be happy. And you know what, you actually achieved it. You have the dream job, making the dream salary, and you know what, you don't have contentment because you don't have time to enjoy the things that you've been, you gotta keep working. It's this hamster wheel that never stops. You don't even see that family you're trying to provide for because you gotta work so hard to keep up with what's going on in your life. And You thought it would bring you joy, and it's anything but. Or maybe you're one of those people that has life figured out. I'm gonna retire by age 50. You're gonna scrimp and save and work hard and put everything away. You're gonna delay gratification because you know you're gonna retire when you're 50 and it's gonna be amazing. And here you are, you're 52 years old, you hit your goal, you're retired, and it's 2 p.m., you're still in your jammies and you don't even know what life's all about anymore. Like you wake up going, I have no purpose. Why am I even on this planet? You thought it was gonna be phenomenal and it ends up being terrible. All these things that we think are going to bring us satisfaction, and they can't. It's a classic human problem. We think we know what will satisfy us. We think we know what will make us happy. And we have no clue what can actually bring joy and contentment and peace. That's the bad news. The really bad news is sometimes God will give us the very thing our hearts long for just to show us how unsatisfying they are. Sometimes God will give us success. God will give us what we long for. God will give us what we ask for just to show us how pathetically inadequate that thing is. But here's the good news. God doesn't do that because he's mean or cruel. He does it so that we will learn not to seek our joy and peace and contentment in those things, but instead to seek it in him, the only one who can satisfy us to turn away from anything in this world that promises to, to bring you happiness, to, to make you whole, to, to make life good for you, to turn your back on all those things and seek the Lord and realize He alone can bring you joy and peace and contentment. He wants you to learn the lesson. Today, He's gonna teach us that lesson. And He's gonna teach us in the weirdest plague of all, the plague of frogs. And before we jump into it, we're gonna be in Exodus chapter 8, and it's a continuation of the 10 plagues. And a little background, because I know we always have guests with us. We are going to the book of Exodus chapter by chapter, and the Hebrew people, the, the people of Israel, they're slaves in the land of Egypt. God has raised up Moses to liberate them, to go to Pharaoh and say, let our people go out to worship in the wilderness. And Pharaoh, with total arrogance, has utterly refused. And God said, okay, you want to play that way? I'll bring some plagues against you. Two weeks ago, we saw the first plague, and that was turning the Nile River into blood. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he said, no, I'm not going to let you go. Now, today, we get to the second plague, and we're going to see how this works out. Exodus chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Listen to what it says. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Okay, now we're gonna stop there just for a moment. Okay, I I kinda wanna state the obvious here. Like of all the plagues that God could bring, this seems like the weirdest plague of all, a plague of frogs. Because it just seems a little fluffy to me. (laughs) Like frogs, like the other plagues are really scary. You got like locusts coming in, swarming like crazy. I don't know if you had just one locust come by. That's scary enough. Imagine like a bazillion of them all over. That's scary. You got like hailstorm coming. You got boils coming all over the body. Even the Nile River turning to blood, that's a little bit scary. Death of a firstborn son, that's scary business. Plague of frogs, not so much. I mean, you look at it, and it's almost cute to think about these little like. They didn't say they're poisonous. It's like Kermit the Frog. These little cute little frogs all over the place. You can almost picture, like in your mind's eye, this cute little scene where a kid walks into his room and there, in his shoe, a little frog pops up, looks around, goes back down. <laughs> like you want to go, oh, coochie coochie. You know, it's like super cute. These little frogs everywhere, and it just—it doesn't seem that dangerous. Why, of all the plagues that God could choose, would He choose frogs? And and then on top of that, the magicians are able to recreate this same thing. Like, I don't know if you read it. It says, I don't know how. It says, by their secret arts. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the secret arts whenever the magicians were able to throw their staffs down and it turned into snakes. I believe it's some kind of demonic power that allowed them to to replicate it. It says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And then Aaron and Moses turned the Nile River into blood. The magicians are able to replicate it. And it says, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And so now you have this fluffy little plague of frogs and the magicians are able to recreate it and you are absolutely certain how Pharaoh's gonna respond. His heart is gonna be hardened. Except what you read in verse eight is that the exact opposite happens. Look at verse eight. Here's a turning point to the plague scenario. It says, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, if you're really reading this, thinking about what's going on, there's a side of you who wants to go say what? Like he, now river to blood you're cool with that a a staff turning into snakes you're cool with that but frogs after your own magicians can recreate it and now you're going help me help me help me what in the world is going on why is pharaoh scared of this when he wasn't scared of anything else now it's really intriguing the answer to that there's a lot of history and background that you need to understand to know why he's scared to death the first thing you have to understand is the way the Egyptians viewed frogs. Frogs were considered uh, little signs of divinity. that They were uh, sacred to the Egyptian people. They were a sign of life. Every year they would come out of the Nile when the Nile River would overflow its banks. And they were a sign that the Nile River God was blessing them again. And they would, they would like to rub frogs and touch them as a sign of, of getting luck from them, of, of getting power from them. And there was a a law in Egypt that you were not allowed to kill a frog. Kind of like if you think about uh, Hindu culture, if you know about how they treat cows, like you're not allowed to to kill a cow or eat a cow because they're considered sacred. For the Egyptians, that's the way they viewed frogs. They were considered sacred. They carried divine luck with them, and so you would never harm them. And so you have all these frogs, and there's no way to do anything with them. Now, what you also have to understand is that we're not talking about like a couple of frogs. We're talking about so many frogs, that they're coming out your ears. They are everywhere. If you go back and listen to the way it describes them, it says they're they're not just outside your house like chirping in the yard, they are all up inside your house. Every step you take in your house, you're like (sniffs) You're stepping on frogs all over the place because they are everywhere. You go sit down in the toilet, guess what you discover in your toilet? Ribbit. Frogs everywhere. You're cooking your Papa Murphy's pizza, you open the oven, there's a frog dead on top of your pizza because it was hiding in your oven. You now you take the healthier route. Right? you're not the pizza guy, you're the salad guy. You go to eat your salad, frog comes hopping right out of your salad. You, you do realize frogs carry diseases with them, right? Go, go look it up. They carry salmonella with them everywhere they go. So imagine these frogs just spreading disease all over in your room, up in your business nonstop. But, but the worst part about this plague of frogs, if, if I were being honest with you, is what they would do at night. I'm curious, any of you guys campers, any of you guys ever camp outside before? Raise your hand if you're a camper. Okay, if you've ever camped outside and there were any frogs around, you know how hard it can be. Now, I want you to do so. I want you to imagine, just close your eyes for a second. Just just imagine trying to sleep right now with this noise. Now, Now, imagine too, though, these frogs are in your bed. They're rubbing against your leg. They're hopping on your face. Now, just imagine trying to sleep just for a moment. Close your eyes and imagine. Okay, okay. Take, take down the sound. Take down the sound. Here's what I want you to know. It's not just a couple of frogs outside. You would not sleep for days on end with these frogs. I, I don't know if you know this. Do you, do you realize you will die faster with lack of sleep than you will lack of food? Did you know that? Just a couple of nights without sleep, you will start to go delirious. It can kill you not to have sleep. Now, we don't know how many days that this has been going on, but presumably it's been a number of days that every time night hits, now the Egyptians start freaking out because they're going to try to go to bed. And these frogs just start croaking all their different sounds inside their their bedroom, in their bed, all over their house, and they cannot sleep a wink. And they are desperate. And here's Pharaoh. It's in his room, in his bed, and he's desperate. And then he's got these dumb magicians, and all they can do is make more frogs. They can't take away the frogs. They just keep adding to the frogs. And Pharaoh finally says, stop it, God! stop it. Moses, Aaron, get your God and tell him to do something because I haven't slept in days. This is why he's so overwhelmed. This is why even after the magicians can recreate it, he steps up and says, please, talk to your God to do something. I can't handle any more of this. But what's so intriguing about it is that All of Egypt, including Pharaoh, had wanted nothing more than to have the blessing of frogs around them. They sought after frogs. They longed for the frogs. This good luck charm, this sign of blessing. And this is if God said, oh, you want some frogs, do you? I'll give you some frogs. And make no mistake about it, this is exactly what God does to us from time to time. We just think we know what will bring us blessing if I could just get the job, if I could just get that relationship, if I could just purchase that thing, if I could just achieve this goal, if I could just whatever, you fill in the blank. If I could just, that thing that consumes your mind, that you go to sleep thinking about, that you wake up thinking about, whatever that thing is that you think will satisfy you. There are times when God says, I'll give it to you, but you're gonna realize it will not bless you. Now here's what I want you to see. Again, God is not being mean. He wasn't being mean to the Egyptians either. He was trying to teach them a lesson. He was trying to show them that their pursuit of blessing was a sham, and it led to probably the greatest sin every single one of us has. This sin of trying to control ourselves and rob it from God. If there were any sin committed in this room more than anything else, it is a sin of trying to rob God of his control over our universe and take it for ourselves. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands because I don't want to embarrass us, but I wonder how many of us struggle with an undue desire to control ourselves and the people around us. Well, that's exactly what this plague was all about. This plague was about attacking their desire for control. Maybe you don't see it yet, so I'm gonna explain how this will work out by declaring which goddess God is coming against. I mentioned this before, but every single one of these plagues is attacking a god or goddess among the Egyptian deities. And this one was attacking the goddess Hecad. It's H-E-Q-E-T, Hecate. Now, we have a picture of Hecate up here. She had the, she's on the bottom right, the body of a woman and the head of a frog. She was considered the frog goddess. Now, let me tell you about Hecate. She was considered the, the one who could breathe life into being. Hecate was supposed to be married to the creator god among the Egyptians. His name was Kanum. And what Kanum would do is he would, he would get dirt and he would form human bodies. Sounds a whole lot like the book of Genesis, what God did, taking the dirt and creating bodies. But according to Egyptian lore, Kanum would do that. And then his wife, Hecad, would come and she would blow life into these human bodies and they would come to life. What the book of Genesis says the spirit does, Egyptian lore says Hecad does. And therefore, because this was the role of Heket. Anytime it came the moment for a child to be born, they would try to make sacrifices to Hecate to ensure the health of their child. They would pray and offer incense up to Hecate because they're trying to control the outcome of the birth of their child. Now, they really felt like they had to do something because of how chaotic it was when children were being born. It's it's nothing like it is today. For the vast majority of you, when you have a child, you have a high degree of confidence that both mama and baby are gonna make it. You know there's a slight chance something could go wrong. But we know we have great hospitals, advancements in medicine, and and we know there's a a great chance that mother and baby are gonna make it. But back then, that is not the way they viewed it. One of the top places of death for an adult was a woman giving birth. If there was any complication, the odds were both the baby and the mother would die. No NICU to whisk them off to, no modern medicine to help them, they would just die. And they were so scared when that moment would come, they felt so out of control, they started to try to control, and here's what they would do. If I could just make Hecad happy with me, I can control the outcome. And they would go and they would put frogs around as symbols of Hecad and Fertility. And they would rub the frogs and they would look to them because they're trying to control their circumstances. I got all the good luck charms around me to make it as as feasible as possible that mama and baby are going to be okay. They wanted to control the outcome because they thought that's how they were going to be happy. And God steps up and says, you think frogs are going to make you happy? You think frogs are going to give you control? Let me show you what happens when frogs take over. They are not in control. And what he's doing with this plague is he is saying Hecate is not in control, frogs are not in control, and you who sacrifice and pray to Hecate are not in control. I'm in control. I, Yahweh God, am in control. And the number one way he does it is by humiliating Hecate at the very thing she is charged with doing, which was controlling the frog population. So Hecad was responsible to bring the frogs out of the Nile, but the other thing she was responsible to do was to control the crocodile population, because that was the number one predator of the frog. And if there were too many frogs, she was supposed to raise up the crocodiles to bring down the frog population to keep it at the right number. And so now you have this overabundance, frogs everywhere. There are no crocodiles to kill them, and it is obvious she has no control. And what Yahweh God is doing is he's humiliating Hecad to show she is no real goddess there is no one like me in fact he does one last move to show that there was no one like him that's what happens in verses 9 through 14 let's keep on reading the story it says next Moses said to Pharaoh okay be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that you and, and that the frogs may be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile and he said tomorrow Moses said, "Beat as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God, and the frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people, and they shall be left only in the Nile." So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, as he had agreed with Pharaoh, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. I will stop there. So he said. To Pharaoh, okay, tell me what time you want this to happen. He goes, tomorrow, and sure enough, Moses prays, and it happens. The frogs die. They heap them up in piles, and the whole country smells of it to high heaven. But there are two things as you read this story that if you're not careful, you, you want not really dr- drill in to see just how odd they are in the story, just how curious they are. The first thing is, is how odd it is that Moses asked Pharaoh to choose the timing of it. Because remember the context. God is trying to, fe- to teach Pharaoh that Pharaoh does not have control, and the way he teaches him is by giving him control of the timing. That seems really weird to me. Why would you wanna teach Pharaoh he has no control by giving him control? That's the first oddity. But the second oddity I think is even weirder. Why does Pharaoh say tomorrow? Remember, they haven't slept in a long time. These frogs are everywhere spreading their disease, up in their food, all up in their business, in their toilets, in their bedrooms. These frogs are driving them crazy. You would expect Pharaoh to go, right now, Moses? When do you want it? to take them away? But he does. He goes, I don't know, I'm going to have it 24 hours from now. How's that work for you? There's a weirdness. Like, why would he say tomorrow and not right now? Now, the answer to those two questions are actually the main point of the passage of what he's trying to teach us. So I want to deal with the first one first. Why would God, in his attempt to teach Pharaoh the lesson that he does not have control, why would he go off and give Pharaoh control of the timing? Actually, the answer is very simple. It's because he wanted Pharaoh to be beyond a shadow of a doubt of who was actually calling the shots. You see, Pharaoh had already learned a lesson that the real miracle was not producing frogs. The Nile River can produce frogs. The magicians can produce frogs. Yahweh can produce frogs. That's not the real miracle. The real miracle is taking away the frogs. And he knows in this moment that only Yahweh God can do it. And so now he's he's having to wrestle with this idea of control so that Yahweh says, I want you to know, this is not some kind of happy little accident that the frogs disappear. They're not just going to like happily hop back into the Nile River and everything's going to be okay. They're not crocodiles going to come up and eat them because Hecate did it. No, they're going to die immediately, exactly when you say, and you're going to heap them up in piles and they're going to make your whole land stink so you can look at them and see I'm the only one who can get rid of them. It was so that Pharaoh would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Yahweh is in control. You choose the timing. You want it 24 hours from now? Mark your watch. Mark your sundial. You're going to see. 24 hours from now, they're all going to be dead. It was so that he could accomplish what it said in verse 10. This is a chief verse in the entire scripture. Look back at verse 10. It says, and he said tomorrow, and Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The whole point of the timing of the plague is so that everyone, including Pharaoh, would know there is no one like Yahweh. Not Heked, not any other God, not Kanum, not anybody else. There is no one like Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, I want to bring this back to you for a moment, if you don't mind. I want to say this. This is the reason why God will do the same thing for you. This is the reason why God will give you things that do not bless you to show you that nothing and no one can satisfy you like Yahweh God. There is no one like your God. There is no job like your God. There is no person like your God. There is no spouse or children or goal or money, or object, nothing can satisfy you because there is nothing like our God, Yahweh. And he will allow us to see how inadequate everything else is, even if it brings us to great places of despair, just to show us that he alone deserves that platform, that place of dignity. There is no one like our God. And listen, we're going to learn that the easy way or we're going to learn that the hard way. Truth be told, there are a lot of us in here that choose the hard way. We just, we have to go through every other thing first before we will finally come to the realization that God is the only one who's enough. That was Pharaoh, by the way. He was that thick-headed. He just was not gonna accept the fact that Yahweh was gonna be the real God. That's actually the reason why he waited 24 hours. That second question, remember, I asked, like, why, why does Pharaoh wait when the whole country's desperate to get rid of these frogs? Why does he wait 24 hours instead of saying right now? The answer is because he knows a lot about Yahweh God, but he is not ready to humbly submit to that God. I mean, you you see it in his actions. The the reason he's saying, give me 24 hours, is because he is still hoping that Hecad is gonna get rid of the frogs. He said, I'm just gonna give her a little bit more time because he knows that if Yahweh does it, he's gonna have to submit to that God and he does not wanna submit to Yahweh God because that means he doesn't keep on getting to be a god if hecate goes down he knows he goes down with her so he's trying to protect her dignity he's trying to protect his own backside so he says i can just give her a little bit more time maybe just maybe she'll come through and i don't have to bow down to this yahweh guy he's not ready to submit he doesn't want to come under the leadership of yahweh the only thing he wants is for his sins to be dealt with you actually see it in verse 15 in the way that he responds. It, it's so interesting to see his hardness. He's, he's softer earlier going, okay, I'll let you guys go. Just pray to your God to get rid of this, these frogs. But look at how he responds in verse 15 when the frogs are finally dead. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So what happens? As soon as the problem is taken away, He could care less about this Yahweh God. He he wasn't really wanting to be under this God. He just wanted his sins to be, the consequences of his sins to be dealt with. Listen, I got to be really bold and straight with you here. There are too many of us that the only reason we come to God is not because we want to be right with God, we just want the consequences of our sins to be done away with. Number one marker, number one way you know it's true is that the only time you seek God is when your life is in chaos. Now, I was was praying through this, whether to say this, because I know this can sound condemning. I want you to walk through this with me here. Hear me all the way to the end. There are some of you right now, and you're watching this online. You're here in the room right now, and the only reason you're here is because your life is in shambles, and you're praying you can find some kind of hope here. You're praying that something can happen to make your life better. That's why you're here, hoping God might be part of that solution. But if you were honest, it's been a long, long time since you've talked to God, since you've been in church, since you've done anything with the things of God. In fact, if you were to look back to the last time you you gave God any attention, it was when you had chaos before and you wanted some help with your situation. But between then and now, when life was okay, God was nowhere to be found in your life. Let me go ahead and tell you, that's a sign that the faith that you think you have is not genuine. Now, I want to I soften that up with this statement. Listen, if you are here right now or you're watching right now because you are in chaos and you're seeking God, you are in the right place. This is exactly where you need to be. The only place you can be to find help in your circumstances is Almighty God. But what I am saying is don't try to use God. God is not a good luck charm that you just rub every once in a while to hope that he can help in your situation. And when your situation is done, you walk away from him. He is God every single moment in the moments of blessing and in the moments of hardship. And it is not genuine faith that we just use God when we have a problem. We walk away with him when everything's okay. And yet, so many of us do that. That's what Pharaoh was doing. He's going, I just want you to get rid of my problem, Moses. Go talk to your God to get rid of these frogs. And the moment they're gone, he says, I'm done. I don't need this God any longer. It was not a genuine faith at all but there's something even worse that Pharaoh does I think that shows the brokenness of his faith the lack of genuineness of his faith and it's a simple fact that he would not talk to Yahweh God directly I don't know if you notice it but he doesn't say okay Moses apparently your God is the real God he's got power he's the only one who can solve this problem so help me be right with him Help me come to him. Help me, help, help me be in a good relationship with him because he is obviously the true God. There's no repentance in Yahweh, in, in Moses, excuse me, in Pharaoh toward Yahweh. All he wants is Moses to handle his problem. He is not ready to talk to Yahweh by himself. He says, you go off and talk to him. You make things right for me. Listen, I, I want you to know, one of the chief signs that your faith is not genuine is when you never talk to God on your own. There are too many people who think, no, I need to talk to a priest. I need to talk to a pastor. I need to talk to a spiritual person because I can't go directly to God. Or maybe even I don't need to go directly to God. Man, that's what you're paid for. Pastor, you you go talk to God for me. You go handle this situation. There can be a moment when we never take the opportunity to talk to Almighty God and we end up no different than Pharaoh himself. The sign of genuine faith is that we are willing and ready to talk to God. Every single Sunday, we have opportunities for prayer at the end of the service. Opportunities for you to to come present your needs before Almighty God. And we have prayer team of people with lanyards on that meet with you and pray with you. And it's such, I think, a blessing for us to have that, but there's a grave danger in that as well. And the danger is that you can come up to one of the people on the prayer team and say, here, talk to God for me. Here's my need. Listen, we're not supposed to be a replacement for your faith. We're supposed to partner with your faith. We're not supposed to do the work for you. We're supposed to help you encounter Almighty God because the only one who can heal you is Almighty God. Look at what Moses did. He says, Moses left and he cried out to God and he said, God, listen to him. God did what Moses said. I I can't explain to you why the creator of the universe would ever do what a human being says, but for whatever reason, when we talk to God, he's moved to answer. We've been given this privilege, but it only comes when we talk to him, Not, not talk about him and around him, but talk to him. And I believe God is saying to some of you, you need to talk to him today. Look, here's what I know. I know there are some of you in this room And if you were being honest with yourself, and I was praying on Friday morning for you that the the Spirit would reveal to you those places in your life where where you've tried to seek satisfaction and peace and joy and contentment and fulfillment and all these other things. I asked him to show you what they are. So I'm praying that right now the Spirit is beginning to show you what those things are. This goal that you have, this hope, this thing that you want, this relationship, this substance, whatever it may be, these things that you constantly think about and worry about and and desire, I want him to reveal to you what those are so so you can see how inadequate they are. And as the Spirit reveals, you may need to say, oh God, forgive me. Forgive me for seeking my fulfillment in that. That doesn't compare with you. There's nothing like you, God. Forgive me for trying to fulfill myself in, in a spouse and in children and in a job and in a relationship and achievement. Oh, forgive me, God. I confess to you how inadequate it is. Maybe you need to say, forgive me for trying to be so controlling. Forgive me for trying to control the people around me, trying to control my circumstance, trying to control my destiny. Oh, God, forgive me. I give you back control. Only you know what's best for me. Maybe you just need to tell them that. Maybe right now you are in the middle of chaos, and you've been hearing what I'm saying, and maybe you realize, yeah, the only time you pray is when you're in chaos, and here you are again. What I don't want you to do is not pray right now because you haven't been praying. I want you to say, I commit, God, to walk with you and talk with you and bring my chaos to you because only you can handle it. And maybe you need to come down to these steps, bow down on your face, and choose to be like Moses. Moses left Pharaoh's presence and he cried out to God and God answered. Maybe you need to be like Moses and slip down here to the front, get on your face and cry out to God and hear him answer. Listen, there are going to be people on the prayer team standing in the front with you. And what we're going to do is we're gonna receive you, not to pray in your place, but to pray with you. If maybe you're going, I don't even know what to pray. If I got down on the ground, I wouldn't know what to say. You can come to one of us, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna hear your need, and then we're gonna get down on our knees with you, and we're gonna pray, and we're gonna let you pray, because our job is to usher you into the presence of God, but you have to talk to him yourself. If you need that, we're gonna be down front, ready to meet with you. If you just wanna get on your face down front, in repentance or in recognition of God, we want to let you do it. We're going to give you a moment in a second, but there's the last thing I need to say. This is the most important. There are some of you who are here, and you hear me talk and you realize, yeah, you've kind of been touch and go with this thing. You, you really have been more about God taking away your pain and suffering than you have been actually following God and giving your life to him. Maybe you've prayed every once in a while, like around a meal or When you were really desperate, but you've never come to the moment of saying, God, I give you all of me all the time. Here's the truth. The only way you will ever come to salvation is if you talk to God on your own. I cannot pray a spiritual prayer over you that will save you. I cannot sprinkle you with holy water that's going to save you. We have a baptistry up here with warm water. I can't dunk you enough times to save you. I don't have that kind of power. The only way you will ever find salvation from your sins and eternal life is if you talk to God directly. And I believe some of you may need a chance to do that. I'm going to ask you to just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, if you wouldn't mind, just around the room. I want you to imagine, if you will, just drawing a circle around you. And just, it's just you and God. Because here's the beautiful thing. God can hear you right now. He can hear your thoughts. He can hear your prayers, whether you say them out loud or just say them in your heart. And he's listening to you. And maybe right now, maybe you need to tell him how sorry you are for the sins that you've committed against him. Maybe God has revealed to you that you've, you've tried to use God. That you've, you haven't lived according to his ways. You haven't sought him. You haven't cared enough about him. You've turned your back on him again and again. Maybe you just need to tell him you're sorry. He needs to hear it directly from you. Whether you say it out loud or you say it in your heart, doesn't matter, he's listening. But if you need to tell him that, it's called repentance, tell him. Right now, he's listening to you. And maybe right now, you need to tell him that you need his forgiveness. Maybe you just ask for it. Say, Father, forgive me. Tell him that you're ready to receive his forgiveness, ask him to take away all your sins. Because what Jesus Christ did on the cross is enough to offer it to you. You just gotta be willing to ask for it. And then right now, if you've really asked for forgiveness, maybe you just need to say, oh God, I give you my life. I'm not not just going to seek you when times are tough. I'm going to give you every bit of my life, the rest of my days on this earth. Come be the master of my life. Be the Lord, the king of my life. I give myself completely to you. If you've never given him full control of your life, all of you, this morning you need to. He's listening. Would you tell him that? You don't have to be ashamed or scared. Jesus Christ hung on a cross to absorb your sin, to absorb the wrath. He shed his blood so that your sins could be paid for. He rose from the dead so he could be at the right hand of the Father right now, mediating for you so you could be with him. All you have to do is talk to him. Tell him you want him. God, I pray you would hear our prayers this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen, I don't, know, I don't know if you spoke to the Lord or not. I couldn't hear you, but here's what I know. If you genuinely told the Lord that you were sorry for your sins, if you genuinely asked him to forgive you, if you genuinely said, I, I want you to take over my life, I want you to be the Lord of my life, and the scriptures say something phenomenal happened that your sins were washed away, the spirit of Christ came inside of you and you've been saved. But the scriptures also say that what's been done in private cannot stay private. It has to go public. Jesus himself said, do not be ashamed of me in front of others and I will not be ashamed of you in front of my father. There must come a moment when we say I had a private conversation with God but I want the world to know that I've chosen to follow him. And today may be that day. In a moment, I want to give you a chance to come down. Maybe you want to let one of us know that you spoke to the Lord and you asked for forgiveness and you gave him control of your life. And today may be be the day where we need to get you a t-shirt that says Jesus in my place. Get you a pair of shorts and before this service is over, get you up here in this warm water so you can be baptized as a public declaration of your faith. It's time for you to decide. I'm going to ask you all to stand up in this room, if you will. I'm going to ask... The prayer team, people who need to come forward just to move around the room, I want to remind you, this prayer team is not here to replace your faith. We're not going to be like Pharaoh today and have someone else talk to God for us. We're here to partner with you. You can bypass us. You can go right to these steps. You can fall down on your seat where you are. You can pray and talk to Almighty God. But you need to talk to Him. Maybe it's just saying, forgive me, we're settling for other things besides you. Maybe it's God, here's my brokenness right now. I know only you are in control and can solve this. And you talk to him. If you need our help to get on our knees with you, we'll do so and pray with you. We're available. Let me also say, if you prayed and you told the Lord that you were ready to give your life to him, it's time to go public. You need to let one of us know. And whether you get baptized today or not is irrelevant. It's saying, I'm ready to take this step forward. So right now is a chance for us to respond in this song for you to come forward. And when the song is over, I'll take, I'll lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper. But come if you need to.